Now today we're going to begin a brand new sermon series that we're going to be walking through for the next few weeks, and it's entitled Run the Race. And it's the idea that we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You know that passage, it talks about because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and it goes on to encourage us, so let us run the race that is before us. So often in life, we run into situations where we feel like we can't make it, like that next step is too hard, the the next journey, it's just too difficult, and we want to throw in the towel, we want to come to a point where we say, I just can't do it anymore. But yet God's Word is very clear. It tells us over and over again, run the race, stand firm, stand strong, trust God, walk with God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 14 tells us, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And that statement, press toward the mark, is the idea of running the race. Do not quit. That's what we're going to be talking about, to be honest with you. On this last day before we can gather together again in this building, as we begin talking about running the race, as we begin talking about making sure that we do not quit, I've got to be honest, I was sitting back thinking over these last few weeks what would be the the best way to kick off this sermon series as we begin a brand new journey for our church, a brand new day for our church. And I thought probably the greatest sermon that I could give would be a sermon that would just simply say, in this season, in this moment, in this time, don't ever, ever quit. And I wasn't about to preach that message because I know somebody who preached it better than anyone I've ever heard. And so today, what I would love to do is to share with you a sermon that my dad delivered in 1999 where he simply said this, don't ever, 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 ever quit. And that's why 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 are so potent, so powerful today. From the King James Version, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The word comfort can be better translated encouragement. And the God of all encouragement, who encourageth us in all our tribulation, our troubles, that we may be able to encourage them which are in any trouble, by the encouragement wherewith we ourselves are encouraged of God. There's another verse I want you to turn back to, John's Gospel, chapter 16, and verse 33. John 16, 33. Jesus said, In the world ye shall have tribulation. But I like the next few words, But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Never, 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 never Winston Churchill brought the briefest commencement message in history when standing before a graduating class in the midst of World War II, he used those very words and sat down. Probably the only commencement address ever remembered, probably ever heard. But that's what he did. He also brought other addresses. I had uh, my office access on the internet some of Winston Churchill's speeches and I read some excerpts out of them to our College for a Weekenders on Friday. They're encouraging words that during the time when the Hitler war machine was roaring across Europe and Great Britain was about to collapse, the U.S. was not yet in the war. December 
7, 1941, had not yet occurred. He was really standing alone, leading what was remaining of the free world against a monster named Adolf Hitler. And yet he constantly told his people, we'll fight on the beaches, we'll fight in the trenches, we'll fight in the cities, we'll fight in the streets, we'll never surrender. And he encouraged his people that way. He said that success in life is often nothing more than going from one failure to the next with undiminished enthusiasm. We need to learn how in this world in which we live, spending more time in the valleys than we do on the mountaintops, how to always be victorious. How to be of good cheer because the God of all encouragement is our God and His Holy Spirit lives within us. One reason we're in constant trouble is because most Christians have a wrong view of trouble. An average view of the Christian life is that knowing Christ means deliverance from trouble, and there's no such promise in the Bible. Knowing Christ simply means deliverance in trouble, and that's very different. The three Hebrew children were cast into the fiery furnace. They were not delivered from it, but when they went into the fiery furnace, he, Christ, went in with them. He has promised to not deliver us from trouble, but walk with us through our troubles. You've heard me hundreds, maybe thousands of times say that you do not determine a man's greatness by his talent or wealth as the world does, but rather by what it takes to discourage him. And that's a fact. Mr. Moody said, I've never known God to use a, a discouraged person. I have a plaque on my study wall, at uh, wall of my study at home. Life is filled with glorious opportunities brilliantly disguised as insoluble problems. Most Christians have a wrong view of trouble. You're never going to get out of trouble. Trouble is a basic need for spiritual growth. God does not give us overcoming life. He gives us life as we overcome. The strain is the strength. If there's no strain, there is no strength. Uh, are you asking God to give you life, and liberty, and joy? He cannot do that unless you are willing to accept the strain that comes with it. And the moment you're willing to say, I accept the strain, I accept, accept the pressure, I accept the trouble, then God will then give you the strength. It is not till you put your foot in the water that it rolls back. You can pray and wish, speculate all you wish. But until you take the step of faith and walk out into the problems with Christ, you never get his intervention. And God's grace is never available for tomorrow. God's grace is not available. He taught us, give us this day our daily bread. If you spend yourself out physically, you become exhausted. But if you spend yourself out spiritually, uh, you get more strength because we read in 2 Corinthians 12 that our weakness is augmented and visited by his strength. But his strength is made perfect only in our weakness. As long as we think we can do it and we are looking to man and to ourselves and to our resources, he never intervenes. He comes in when you say, Lord, I cannot anymore. I've gone the last step. I can't do it. I've tied the last knot. He never gives strength for tomorrow. He only gives strength for the moment. By the way, God's ultimate high is not available until you know God's ultimate crisis. The saint is at his maximum potential 
when he is crushed with difficulties that are so severe and so hopeless that unless God intervenes, everything is lost. And that is the way we're supposed to live, not just in our ministries, but in our personal lives. That's how you raise your children. Uh, that is how, as a minister, you build your ministry. Uh, that is how you, as a businessman, build your business. You learn how to lean on God, trust in God, wait on God, pray about everything. I read a book recently, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Jim Cimbala wrote it, pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn. But he, his, this book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, is a, is a great premise book. Everybody should read it. I urge you to get it and incorporate the truth that the Brooklyn Tabernacle was built on prayer, not, not techniques. There are fundamental principles every believer needs to know. One, you will never, never, never get out of trouble. Now, I don't want to discourage you this morning, but I want to tell you the truth. You'll never get out of trouble. There's no such thing as possibility or positive thinking. That won't help you. You can do all that stuff, but it's not real. The fact is you've got to learn how to live while you're in trouble because you're never going to get out. Job 14.1, more man that is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. We go from one tragedy to the next. And Churchill was right. Success in life is going from one failure to the next with undiminished enthusiasm. Learning how to trust God, believe God, move on, but never get out of, getting out of trouble. And you are not the only sufferer. You're not alone in this thing. 1 Corinthians 10.13 is one of my favorite verses. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you're able. He'll never take you past your breaking point, but will with every temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And trouble is not always judgment, by the way. Sometimes it is when you're living in open sin, God will drop the hammer on you. But trouble more likely is not judgment. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Your trouble comes from God. All trouble comes from God, either directly or indirectly. Now that makes a big difference. Job learned this. And so in learning that, he came to the point where he said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then things got worse and worse and worse. And finally, he said, Job 13, uh, verse 15, though God slay me, yet will I trust in him. Spurgeon said that God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when you cannot trace his hand, you can always trust his heart. So that's the way it is. And you therefore must, with God's help, attempt to learn how to bear your own burdens and solve your own problems. No one can solve your problems for you. Ultimately, you must, as a believer, get hold of God and trust Him and Him alone to meet your need. When you need help, when you need encouragement, God may send someone to be supportive, but ultimately you need to learn how to bear your own burden. God doesn't need any crybabies. Uh, and, and there's nothing worse than a crybaby Christian. Everything's wrong. They've got to show you all their, their operations. I mean, if you, uh, it, uh, I learned as a pastor a long time ago, Never after church shaking hands to ask anyone, how are you feeling? <laughs> that is a stupid question, and that's, that's in Pastoral Theology 101. Pastor, don't ever ask anybody, how are you feeling? You will meet somebody who will tell you. <laughs> and you can't do a thing about it anyway, so forget it. 
a friend. God may send a friend in your life, but that's not where your basis of support ought to be. A friend is the first person who walks in when the whole world just walked out. And God will have those angels coming alongside from time to time. You don't meet many, but that verse in Hebrews is a great verse. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. But God, in your life, you have no idea when you get up in the morning and go to bed at night whom God helped you bump into, where you were. And just what may come from it, not this year, maybe 25 years from now, God is directing your steps. Wishful thinking and false optimism are detrimental to you. Get off that positive thinking kick. Cry when you need to cry, but cry alone. Get alone with God in prayer. Cry alone. When you come out, get all that stuff behind you. The world doesn't need another crybaby. They need pillars of strength, spiritual leaders, men and women of God who can lead their families. You say you got cancer, God can heal you. But it may not be His will to heal you. God may want to take you to, to heaven. We certainly believe in praying for the sick, anointing with oil. We do all of that. And if it's God's will to heal you, He can and He will no matter what your problem. If it is in the will of God, you're going home. That's why Galatians 6, 9 is such a great verse. Paul said, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, due, God's appointed time, we shall reap if we faint not. Don't ever quit. The bottom line is, don't quit in your life. Don't quit in your marriage. Don't quit in your ministry. Don't quit in your schooling. Don't, don't quit with your goals. I'm on the email list of uh, hundreds of pastors. And nobody has to answer, but we get them every day. We get to read what they share. We're sharing one with another. There's a pastor in another city who's going through a terrible internal church problem right now. And we all had prayer uh, online. It's a wonderful thing. We can, we can all, we uh, agree, we all signed up for a certain hour to pray for that man this week. Hundreds of us. And to give, that God would give him wisdom. And that's a great thing. But ultimately, he's at his pulpit now today, and the church is about to explode, and they're having all, all, there's nothing worse than when Christians misbehave. There's just nothing worse on earth than misbehaving Christians. And they're doing ugly things. You know, I, I, I can always spot it. It's that last crowd that leaves back by the back wall. Everybody's gone. I mean, the church mice have gone back to bed, but they're still standing there in a huddle talking, and they stop talking when anybody walks by. They got a problem. And the problem is not the deacons or the choir or the music or the preaching. Whenever you do that, the problem's right here. Because you, the best way to solve problems is to pray about them. And to pray one, and when you're praying for somebody, you're not going to be bitter towards them and unkind. And you can go directly to them and say, hey, I didn't like what you said or what you did or whatever. And, and if he's a true Christian or she's a great Christian, there'll be prayer and there'll be, a, there'll be a settlement there. But don't quit in what you're doing. You're a Sunday school teacher. You're a deacon. You're a choir member. You're a servant of Christ. You're a mom. You're a dad. Stay with it. You know, Satan uses a lot of things to discourage us. Prayerlessness is at the top of that list. If you're not praying enough, it's easy to get discouraged, depressed. Physical fatigue is another one. You know, there's such a thing as working too much. 
Some of you are working three jobs. I know that there's financial situations that demand a lot sometimes, but you need to understand that God made these bodies with limitations. And when you're working too many hours and doing too little rest and all the, you're going to suffer spiritually and in every other way. Unconfessed sin is something that will bring discouragement ultimately to you. Failure and embarrassment. We all fail. We've got to get past those failures. Routineness and boredom. Doing the same thing the same way every day can be tough. Change your route. I mean, don't do the same thing the same way. Uh, there are people who just get in a terrible rut. And, and you need to get out of that. A constant pressure is a debilitating thing. Whether it's financial or whatever, it can be very debilitating. Betrayal and disappointment. Somebody who, who betrayed you. You've got to forgive and walk on. Bitterness is a, an unacceptable thing in the life of a believer. There's nothing wrong with getting mad. Our Lord Jesus got mad at the temple and drove the money changers out. But the scripture said, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Meaning, don't go to bed at night without settling all the difficulties as best you can. That's bitterness. Selfishness and stagnation. Get rid of those things. You know, Satan has certain basic barriers that he uses to cause us all to fail and cause us to quit. There are temptations, there are trials, they're just plain personal problems we all face, which may prevent us staying the course, may cause us to stop or step off the track before we get to the finish line. Sometimes people get into a seizure position with money. They love money. The prospect of greed and selfishness and they always want just a little more. There's nothing wrong with having money. There's something wrong with money having you. And if you have become a victim to the love of money, get rid of it. It will destroy you. It will take you down. It will power is something else. Many, many want power. There are people in government who will give their souls for power. There are people in business and so forth who are power freaks. Things, the lust of the eye. That can get to anybody. Cars, bigger car, bigger house, bigger everything. Esau was the firstborn. He was in line for the inheritance of his father Isaac. But he gave up his birthright for a mess of pottage because of a weak moment in his life. We mustn't make, make bad trades spiritually. Never, never, never quit. We have the God of all encouragement living within us. There is no reason to quit. And God has given us the provisions by which we can live in victory. Never, never, never quit. It's a powerful message. It's one that I heard probably a thousand times when I was a kid. Growing up in the household of that man, I heard it over and over again. But not only did I hear it, I saw it. I watched it because he was an example of it. No matter how difficult the day might seem, no matter how down he had the opportunity and the right to feel, he never felt it. He always was encouraged, and here's why. Because he never based his encouragement, he never based his success, he never based his future on what he could do. He always based it on the power and the presence of God. So today, what is it in your life that's making you want to give up? What is it in your life that's making you want to quit? Ready to throw in the towel, ready to walk away from everything, ready to say, I am done. 
Today, we received a lot of great information to help us walk through those moments, to be encouraged in those moments, to help us recognize that God has promised never to deliver us from trouble, but to always deliver us in trouble. So the great question for today, are you trusting God? Because the only way that you will be able to live a life where you never quit is when you allow yourself to depend on, to believe in, to lean on God, no matter what. We all have a race to run. We all have a future ahead. We all have tomorrow that we must face. And the only difference between facing it with strength and facing it with joy and facing it with success has nothing to do with what you can do. It has everything to do with what God has done. And what God has done is promised to never leave you and to never forsake you. What God has done is promised to give you the hope that we need for today and the hope we need for eternity. And the way he guaranteed it, the way he sealed the deal is by sending his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And three days later, Jesus guaranteed this promise when he walked out of that tomb as alive as he had ever been. And today, he still lives. Today, he is still on his throne. And according to God's word, what we must do, if we're going to see that hope, if we're going to have that promise, we must trust God by believing in Jesus. By believing that he died and that he rose again. By believing that he is God's son. By believing that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. And so today I want to ask you to do some soul searching right now, to truly look inside, to ask yourself the question, do I believe in Jesus? And if you can't answer that question with an affirmative, with an absolute, with an immediate, yes, I believe in Jesus, then today what you must do, what you need to do is to simply say, God, I I know I'm a sinner. God, I know I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the only one that can save me from my sins. I believe that He died and that He rose again. Today, God, I believe. I'm going to lead just a simple prayer that basically calls into action what I just shared. It comes from God's Word, not from a preacher's heart. It comes from God Himself. And so if you've never done that, if you've never believed in Jesus, I ask you right now, wherever you might be, If you're at home, if you're driving down the road, if you're watching in a store somewhere, wherever you might be seeing the service, I'm going to ask you if you want to trust Jesus today to pray this prayer along with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I believe that Jesus is the one who came to save me. I believe that he died and that he rose again. And I believe that He is the only one that can bring me the hope that I need. I believe that He's your Son. So today, Father, forgive me of my sins. Save me today through your Son, Jesus. And help me to live for you for the rest of my life as you give me the power to do it. Thank you, God, for saving me. My friend, if you prayed that prayer, the greatest news that has ever been given, today, it's your story. 
It's your story because today you are a child of God. And so if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to rejoice with you, to celebrate with you. Would you just send me an email? The email address is on the screen. It's just pastor at trbc.org. Would you just let me know? Because I would love to pray for you as you begin a journey, a promise that comes directly from God, that no matter how bad today might seem, that there is nothing that can stop you because God is on your side. thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. 
If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.